This week, we discuss weed-themed stationery, how to deschedule cannabis, and why Ohio is more cannabis-friendly than you think. Coming up next on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical grass. My name is Charles McElroy. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm a designer and creative director uh, in the cannabis space and also own Gold Leaf. Nice, smooth, little jazzy jam by Sam Volo, who is actually wrong about that. You do need the sun, especially if you're growing cannabis. Nevertheless, that was a little track titled, you guessed it, Gold Leaf. Yes, indeed. One of those rare moments where you find a cool song that literally has the same name of your guest's organization. Cue the daily double sound. There we go. Hopefully we don't get sued for copyright infringement. Sorry, Alex. Anyway, very excited about this week's guest. Charles McElroy is the founder and chief creative officer at Goldleaf, a science-forward printing company for cannabis growers, patients, and enthusiasts, where they deal in various posters, journals, notebooks, and other forms of cannabis-themed printed artwork. They don't actually touch the cannabis plant themselves, but they do help others better understand their interactions with the plant and provide a very pleasant visual element to the cannabis space. Kind of like stopping to enjoy the little things in life, as a famous zombie movie once suggested. Charles has also volunteered for the Marijuana Policy Project. He's supported veterans' education and access to medical cannabis and has studied permaculture and organic farming in Ohio and Colorado. So he has experience on many different levels as far as cannabis goes. He's based in Ohio, which isn't exactly a cannabis mecca by global standards, but it does have a thriving and still-growing cannabis culture nonetheless. But his background is much more than just Ohio, and I was curious about how and when he got bitten by the cannabis bug. I guess I, I, I've, been, uh, I've been bitten for a while, but um, I was kind of you know, late to the dance as far as my own personal exploration with cannabis. Um, that, that happened, I guess, in my, my early 20s, but um, I was actually uh, kind of into it from like an activist standpoint uh, earlier than that. Um, and uh, yeah, some of my, my kind of personal experiences led me down the road to, um, to being an advocate for uh, kind of uh, responsible change. Um, and then, you know, I, I found it was very helpful for me to uh, kind of address some of my, um, my health conditions. Um, 
I have uh, autoimmune problems and um, it's cannabis has kind of been a godsend for treating that. So um, once I kind of, you know, had those two things uh, merge in my in my world, um, I was kind of on board to, um, you know, be be a lifelong uh, advocate for progress. I've been all over the place. Um, most of my family is in this area, so that's why we landed here. But um, yeah, I was born in the deep south. Um, I uh, lived in um, kind of the on the outskirts of uh, Atlanta in a, in a rural area. And um, my my folks, um, you know, found out that like, hey, the high school graduation rate is like 40 percent at this at this uh, at the public schools where we were at. So my dad uh, transferred up north to Cincinnati uh, into an area with, uh, you know, better schools, um, uh, you know, for for their children, my sister and I. And um, that's kind of what brought us up up to Ohio, um, plus the fact that our family was there. And uh, so I went to school up here. Um, I spent some time in Texas, in um, in Colorado uh, and other parts of Ohio. But um, we've kind of ended up in Cincinnati. And I, I like being here. I mean, starting Goldleaf as an Ohio company was very intentional. Um, a big part of what I, th- I think Goldleaf's mission is, is um, you know, the, the normalization and the destigmatization of, uh, kind of cannabis. So, um, I feel like we're in a unique place to, um, to, uh, push forward that conversation just because we focus on, we don't touch the plant. Um, you know, we, we make education, we make arts and, um, other kind of printable things that, um, you know, are, are approachable, um, and, um, yeah, kind of, I guess, hard to hate. Uh, we, we don't really use a lot of the, the stoner culture, um, imagery or language. So, you know, when we're, we're talking to, you know, more conservative folks or older people, maybe just trying medical cannabis for their condition, um, they, they're kind of soothed by the look of cold leaf stuff. Um, and, you know, that was very much intentional. And, um, I feel like we're, we're, more able to um to kind of feel that connection being in a state like ohio that is you know typically more conservative on something like this not that this was intentional but like many other guests on this podcast charles is yet another example of someone who had an illness or ailment that was successfully treated using cannabis and then became inspired to do something for the plant as a result I think I see a pattern developing here. Anyway, he mentions how he was trying to do something different than your usual stoner culture. Now, nothing against dreadlocks, reggae music, and flaunting bloodshot eyes, but there are a lot of people out there who could benefit from cannabis that find traditional stoner culture a little off-putting. So trying to reach out to such potential allies is actually a wise move. But it also goes to show that cannabis culture is much, much more than what is in the mainstream. This is only the beginning of the cannabis culture renaissance, so you can expect to see way more than just tie-dye designs and anthropomorphic pot leaves smoking miniature joints. So what is Gold Leaf about, and how did it start? I know we've, we've, we've dabbled uh, so far, but just for your listeners, in case uh, they're confused at what we do, um, we, we're kind of the only, only group doing this. Um, but we're uh, a print company uh, for the cannabis space and we uh, make journals, um, art prints, uh, so posters uh, that kind of focus around the science behind cannabis. So it's uh, prettying up the information and making it more digestible. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, our, our first products were uh, journals. And, you know, I've always kept a journal. Um, I've worked in um, the uh, uh, kind of computer world for a while, uh, the audio engineering space. Um, that, that's what kind of led me down to my time in Texas. Um, and I've always kind of kept journals for various things. And I really love uh, UX. That's one of my favorite parts of design, uh, user experience. So um, it, it was like a perfect mix of like analytical thinking and creative thinking, um, uh, creating like these types of journals. So our journals are educational in the sense that they're, they're templated. Um, they kind of tell the user what they should be um, tracking and make it easier for them to do so and then reference it in the future. So we have journals for medical patients as well as like growers and cultivators for uh, chefs, um, for um, people focusing on CBD only products um, and, and a couple other niches. Um, but yeah, the, the idea kind of came about um, in um, when I was out in Colorado, I was, uh, really interested in the the agricultural side like the cultivation and i kind of wanted to learn more about it and so i um i you know i did so um kind of in an unofficial manner um just helping out friends and and staying at farms and stuff and um yeah i i really loved the application of of a more templated journal for that use um so that was kind of the first product goldleaf came out with was a grow journal um, and we've iterated on it uh, obsessively since that uh, time. And um, uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I felt like I wanted it for myself and it didn't exist. So I made it, um, which I know is a pretty common <laughs> common reason for a, a company to, to be. But we, we inadvertently stumbled into the whole mess that is uh, the state of, of knowledge and education in the cannabis space. Um, so what I mean by that is you can't really Google your question and always get a consistent or accurate answer. Um, and that's just, at least in the States, um, that's uh, kind of an ongoing problem because of the, the federal regulation. And, and globally, it, it is regulated differently all over all over the place. And so there is there is a mess of, of different conflicting information. Some of it is you know very outdated some of it is is very accurate um it just kind of depends on on where you're at um and and your own kind of uh, interest and proclivity like sometimes you've got to dig a little deeper to find the true answer of things so uh we kind of came across that um like i said on accident um i i was kind of aware of it but i wasn't aware how much it affected like the the adoption and growth of cannabis uh, growth in in like a economic sense, not not in a growing plant sense. Um, and and that's true. Like um, you're not going if you open up uh, dispensaries and you legalize it in your country or state, um, your adoption is not going to um, be that high or, or it's going to have uh, mixed results if your populace is not educated on, you know, how to use the product, what questions they should be asking. Um, you know, what what does it actually do? How do you dose yourself? All of this stuff. And and cannabis is very unique in a lot of those ways. So, um, yeah, we, we kind of realized that we were accidentally helping that. Uh, and so we, we slightly pivoted to focus a little bit more on the educational side um, as opposed to like the 
culture side, I guess. Um, so, you know, since 2016, we've kind of focused more on on making things that help um, enlighten people. Um, in, like I said before, in like an approachable way, like we want to we want people to be excited and, and not afraid to experiment with their bodies. Um, and that because this cannabis is about the only thing uh, where your doctor is going to say, I don't have a dose for you uh, or a prescription. You just have to figure it out for yourself. Here's some general guidelines, maybe. Um, people are not used to hearing that from a doctor. And um, so it's rightly intimidating. And um, so that that's kind of where uh, where we exist. And, and what we're trying to do is, is just help alleviate that feeling a bit. So Cultivation was the inspiration, and if you go to their website or Instagram page, in addition to some nice bud porn, they showcase some of their work, which is not only enjoyable to look at, it provides an educational element as well, as Charles mentions with respect to dosage, for example. Cannabis people need stationery too, and while Goldleaf is not directly involved in the cultivation, processing, retail, or consumption of cannabis, it is what's known as an ancillary business that adds to the overall cannabis culture and helps promote it helping to combat the stigma around the plant and making it normal to use again. Now, one question that was on my mind, and probably a few other curious individuals, was whether Goldleaf products are made of or printed on hemp. Yeah, that is a great question. So we, we've pursued that, um, that sourcing since day one. Um, I would say like late 2019 is the first time that there's been like positive movement in that direction. Uh, so the short answer is most of our stuff is is on traditional paper, although we do bend over backward to source like um, uh, Forest Stewardship Council certified stocks and, and you know, as sustainable as we can. Um, but the problem with with hemp is that it has not been commercially available in the type of smoothness uh, and and sizes that are applicable to our use cases for like art prints um that are that are four color printed, uh, not screen printed, um, and uh, like the binding type of journal that we have. Um, we we do have um, a few projects like for other uh, pr- paper printed items, like pamphlets and some neat cards and things that have been on hemp stocks. Um, but those are those are kind of case by case basis. Like we we do a lot of custom work for other uh, cannabis organizations and businesses and. You know, sometimes we'll get that request. Um, I'm surprised we don't get it more, but um, we try to accommodate it when we can. And there have been like steps forward from paper uh, suppliers in the U.S. and and Canada. And um, those are the I I would say those are the main um, proponents of of hemp stocks right now. Um, And uh, yeah, they're, they're starting to get an improvement on the smoothness and the whiteness. Um, so there's like a, a scale of whiteness that paper is. So, you know, you might be looking at a white piece of paper and it could be a 93 or a 95 or something. Um, and the, the, um, commercial printers that we use have to have like certain specs or it's not going to work. So, um, that's been our limitation. Um, but we, uh, we have been, uh, kind of, had ongoing conversations with some of those two leaders in the, the hemp, uh, like commercial hemp paper space. Um, and they do have uh, that stuff coming down their pipeline. And a big part of that is the recent um, kind of acceptance and, and I guess like the farm bill in the U S um, that made um, that 
those hemp supplies uh, more readily available to some of these manufacturers. And that's been the problem in the past. The only place to get it is, um, you know, various places in Asia, I believe. And um, there just wasn't a market for it. So all the hemp paper you would see would look kind of like, uh, you know, a paper bag, craft brown or slightly less brown. Um, you know, I think it's an attractive look, but it wouldn't work for what we do. Um, so, you know, I, I'm hopeful that we'll get there soon, but uh, n- not quite yet. It's our like factory partners where we um, kind of do the the large scale like book binding and printing that um, have like the limitations. You know, they'll be like, we have to have sheets that are this size and they have to be this opacity or the or that you won't see the ink and stuff like that. So the stationery industry has certain standards that hemp paper just hasn't developed yet. But again, there is a renaissance upon us, and not just in the medical or consumption sense, but in the industrial hemp space as well. Case in point, we had the Hemp Farming Act of 2018, which was a proposed law to remove hemp from the list of Schedule One controlled substances. For the uninformed, this list refers to highly addictive drugs with no medical potential, or as some like to call it, the list of the best forbidden fruit. Well, this made it an ordinary agricultural commodity. It was incorporated into the 2018 U.S. Farm Bill that became law in December of that year. This means that hemp farmers can now apply for water rights, federal agricultural grants, and access to the national banking system, which the rest of the cannabis industry still does not have. This means that there will be more and more hemp cultivation throughout the country, and with that, more hemp-based commodities, including all kinds of paper. So how soon can we expect to see the hemp industry taking off as a result? I, I think it kind of already has. And um, it kind of created a hot mess, if I'm being honest. Um, I don't mind it, but um, I, I don't think that our current president, you know, in totally intended to, like, put this on the on the roadmap. I think it was more like um, I got to do something for, uh, you know, our, our farm farmers um, because he he accidentally started a trade war or maybe it was purposeful, but, um, that was the motivation, not, not because he believed in industrial hemp. Um, but what it has done is one, you mentioned the, the vocabulary and terminology before, um, people, uh, so like hemp is, is now kind of used all over the place to, um, to describe all kinds of cannabis products that, you know, maybe hemp or maybe they, they aren't. Um, uh, but it just kind of muddied the waters even more with the common vernacular. Um, and it also created a, a small, quick, like revolution of new, uh, startup businesses in the hemp and CBD space. Um, so there are a boatload of terms that are super common now that are not regulated. And I don't really like that. Like I, I really want more business. Um, and like a, a flip fair playing field and um, kind of reduce some of this this like uh, prohibition style red tape. But I do think that there is value in regulation, um, too. Uh, but it just has to be reg- regulatory ideas from people who know what the hell they're talking about, um, which has been the, been the problem with our state in Ohio. These laws for our medical program were created by actually um more conservative folks who didn't really want it to take a a good shape. So there's all sorts of weird rules that just highlight the fact that they don't know what they were talking about. Um, But uh, with like, for example, uh, you can't 
you can't smoke it. Like smoking is illegal, but you can buy flour. Um, so, you know, you, you tell me what you do with that flour. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, but for the, for the hemp stuff, you know, like there is a lot of like regulatory stuff that, um, people are just saying, um, like full spectrum hemp, um, well, uh, you know, full spectrum doesn't necessarily apply to some of the products that are calling it that. Um, so it, it, it's just kind of made a little bit more of a mess and a little bit more of a challenge with, um, you know, the future of, of, you know, helpful, um, regulation and, um, really consumer trust. Like people are buying all these kind of like garbage hemp products, um, or they're, or they're buying really solid ones. Um, you can't really tell, uh, because there's, there's not, uh, very many checks and balances in place for that, which is surprising because there's way too many in place for like the medical, um, for anything that has, you know, slightly more than that 0.3 THC level. So it looks like legislators rushed in the hemp laws without exactly thinking everything through while overregulating medical cannabis, which actually has been quite common wherever decriminalization or legalization efforts have taken place. Seems a little absurd that there are completely different laws for the same plant in one jurisdiction. Now, Charles mentions the very arbitrary and laughably low threshold for THC in the United States. In Europe, it's actually even lower at 0.2%, Switzerland being slightly more ahead of the curve with a whopping 1% THC allowed in its cannabis plants before they are deemed a dangerous addictive drug. But there's no way of legalizing a plant only for it to be used for industrial purposes and not be consumed medically or recreationally by the public. With the slow dissipation of prohibition, this will likely change as well, but unfortunately it will not happen overnight. But Ohio isn't entirely new to the legalization game, or at least the attempts to legalize. Back in 2015, there was an attempt to pass a constitutional amendment that would legalize recreational cannabis in the Buckeye State, much like Colorado or Washington, but ultimately it ended up being rejected by voters. It did. It got rejected by people who were who are very pro cannabis too. It was it was the most like uh, I'm trying to think of a, a colorful word without being like insensitive, but um, yeah, it was it was a terrible terrible law that created uh, such a visible monopoly. Um, twelve people would buy in, and those twelve people were based were already predefined by by this law of of, of who um like who who kind of backed this original uh law and you know these are basically 12 uh extremely rich uh groups or people most of which had no business being in the cannabis space like uh you know a pop singer from a boy band um who who will remain remain nameless um a lineman from the cincinnati Bengals. like come on uh, not only do they not have like the experience and granted, yeah, like anybody can learn this stuff. I don't, I don't want to sound like, you know, an insider that if you're not in the cannabis industry, then you shouldn't be in here at all. That that's not what this is. Th this was just such a clear money grab. Um, and it was just not fair. Um, are not okay in the U S even though we kind of are okay with them. Um, historically we're, we shouldn't be. Uh, because it 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 symbolizes oppression. Uh, it symbolizes like uh, unfairness and the, a breach of of kind of 
what you know the quote American dream is, uh, where where anybody can make anything of themselves. And when you have a law like this um, that uh, so clearly sets up a, f- a few wealthy to um, forever control an entire industry, come on, like there's not even a precedent for that. Um, so yeah, it, it it got voted down um, pretty epically. Um, you know, I, well, not epic. I think it was like 32% in favor. Um, if if it was something that was rolled out fairly, I think it would have just barely passed. Um, sentiment at the time was slightly over 50%. Uh, now, depending on how you phrase the question, it's going to be 60 to 80% in, in the state of Ohio. And we're, we're relatively a conservative state. So that just kind of shows you where uh, where our culture has gone over over time, um, just a few years. So, uh, yeah, that that was kind of the the, the law. Um, and the next iteration would have been the one that uh, M- MPP was putting together. Um, and they, they just felt that it wasn't worth their time because, you know, goal achieved. Ohio passed something on their own. According to Charles' account, Ohio has been mostly in favor of legal cannabis for quite some time, so the initiative being voted down was actually a matter of voters rejecting a grossly unfair and monopolistic law. Behind the initiative was a group called Responsible Ohio, a cartel of investors, as Charles mentions, that would have exclusive rights to cultivate in the state. So forget about any mom-and-pop establishments or craft cannabis. The Marijuana Policy Project chose not to endorse the initiative, and Normal gave only a half-hearted endorsement while stating its apprehension about the would-be monopoly. So voters were actually right to reject this. It was more about preventing a bad law than worrying that the state would turn into a real-life Bone Thugs and Harmony video. Charles goes into the very interesting demographics of Ohio. So Ohio is conservative now. Um, we, we have been traditionally like a pretty even split. Um, and that's because, you know, you've got your three big cities, uh, Cincinnati, Columbus and Cleveland. And then we've got our um, th- everything else is like like blue collar towns. Uh, and, you know, on, on one side of the state, it's a lot of uh, like manufacturing, um, even even like some uh, coal um, and then, you know, auto workers. Um, so these are people who would traditionally be like Democrats. Um, but they're they're spiritually Republicans because of of the uh, conservative Christian um, kind of the, the weird like Republican Christian combo um, that especially in, in like the days of, of like this tribalism that we have with with Trump. And um, it's just kind of made those divides even even bigger. But um, yeah, like. I think people would, even though they would call themselves conservative, it's because they're probably anti-abortion, um, but they're probably more more liberal than that. Um, and I think cannabis really is something that's not all that political of an issue anymore. Um, you know, like some of our rural areas, like Meigs County and Athens County, um, you know, I don't know how they know these stats, but the stat is that that. Uh, they they grow more weight than Humboldt, um, it, at least, um, you know, in the early aughts, that was the stat. Um, and yeah, I like I've been out in those areas and everybody is like these are farmers who are, are super poor. And the only way they can make ends meet is by having a small a small crop of cannabis and they'll vote on their sheriffs based on their leniency for this stuff. Um, and generally it's, 
neighbors look the other way, but these are people who are probably calling themselves Republicans. They go to church, um, but they're not going to make money making growing soybean, um, especially with all the trade war stuff. So they would, you know, have uh, some cannabis crops to help support themselves. And people are like, this doesn't feel like I'm a criminal and they're not a criminal. Um, and I think just having that real experience, even if it's yourself or your neighbors or somebody in your community and you're like, wait, they're not an evil person. Uh, you know, it kind of makes people think like, um, you know, this is kind of apolitical. It's it's really just a plant and some people use it for wellness. Uh, there sure there are like some people at the university who are stoners and uh, no fun to be around, um, you know, you know, from an outside looking in or whatever. Um, but, uh, generally I don't, I don't think there's a lot of animosity for it in the state. Um, you know, gold leaf, uh, we work with a lot of vendors around here, uh, for other services like banking and insurance and, and shipping and whatever. And, um, I tell people what we do. They ask, I tell them, and these are conservative groups and everybody loves it. Like nobody's, nobody's turned off by it. And so it's very affirming that, um, that we have made some progress. Um, I've never had somebody who was like, Oh, we just realized what you do. We're not going to do business with you anymore. Um, I've never had that conversation. Thank goodness. Um, and you know, I, I think like that, uh, can hopefully lead, lead us to, to more like, um, real progress, uh, with, with prison reforms, with, um, you know, I hope the descheduling, um, if if Trump does not get reelected, I think that'll probably be something in the wheelhouse for uh, the next year or two is changing the, the schedule of cannabis from a schedule one, which means um, it has no medical value. It's on par with meth and um, crack, um, which is so absurd. And if they do deschedule it, then immediately um, all the banks, the FDIC, all the insurance companies, all the payment processors, organizations like Google and Amazon, um, and all of the, the, you know, the pots they have on their stoves um, will be open to the cannabis industry because the reason is not that it's illegal, it's that it's a Schedule One. At least that's the, the, the main reason. So as far as progress, that's, that's an easy win, I feel like. Descheduling can take place either through congressional legislation or through the DEA's administrative rulemaking process, in other words, by petition. Once implemented, it would enable so many activities to take place, such as banking and financial services, as Charles mentions. Even in places like California, with fully legal adult-use cannabis, using credit cards is still federally prohibited, so dispensaries have to deal in mostly cash, which carries with it a big risk. Say hello to armored cannabis money guards. And doctors are unable to write prescriptions for the exact same reason, which is why they only write recommendations. So descheduling would be an enormous step in the right direction without actually going through full legalization. So does Charles have any advice for young bucks wanting to enter the cannabis space? What advice would I give myself? I, I guess I would um, probably uh, urge myself to... This, this sounds so uh, kind of trite, but... Um, to kind of not be afraid to take chances uh, with stuff like this. Like I, I, I never really felt like my, my skill set had like a clear, a clear home or whatever. Um, you know, I, I think that I, I need to have like a creative pursuit. 
Um, and then I, and I'm also kind of wired to uh, think a little bit more analytically. So, um, you know, Goldleaf, you know, makers of infographics and data visualization is, is like so great. Um, and uh, it, it feels very natural to me. And I, I, I do wish I would have started it earlier. Um, the, re- the reason I didn't, I, I did have my hands full with like other work, but it was work that I, I was not really fulfilled with. And I have known that for a long time. Like, um, so yeah, it probably would have been like to, to take that chance earlier. Um, I also just love how like the internet of things here, like gold leaf stuff is, is just not for everybody. Um, but the people who it's for freaking dig it. Um, (laughs) and I, it, finding those people is only possible because of, of technology today. Like, um, you know, like we're, our team is all mobile, right? So we've got people in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Canada, um, California, and um, connecting with like those very unique skill sets, you know, like uh, a researcher, an archivist who's incredibly knowledgeable about cannabis or um, other designers who are not only like good at their craft, but they un- understand uh, the, the subject. Um, like I can't imagine how I would have found those people, um, even in the early days of the internet, like the prior to 2010, I feel like it would have been a challenge. Um, but you know, anymore, like uh, we're able to kind of coast and almost exist in our, in our own little world without, um, really stress that, that, you know, people won't be able to find us because they continue to find us. Like we don't spend hardly any um, any money on marketing. Um, we just kind of have that organic reach. Uh, people have questions, they type it into Google and, you know, if we've answered it, it'll, they'll find us. And, um, so like, uh, that was not your original question, I know, but I still marvel at, um, at how cool that is that we can just like nerd out on these niches. And, um, there are people who, who like it, you know, a slight change of topic from the original question, but we appreciate the response nonetheless. So where do we go if we want to contact Charles? Yeah, if if anyone wants to kind of see what we're all about, uh, I, Goldleaf's a visual company, so so seeing it's great. Uh, you can come, come to our site, uh, shopgoldleaf.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram, uh, and we, we spend some effort there. Uh, again, visual. Um, and we're at uh, G-L-D-L-E-A-F, uh, so gold leaf without the O. Sadly, we're out of time, so we have to bid Charles a fond farewell. Charles McElroy of Goldleaf fame. Thank you for taking the time out of your uh, busy schedule to uh, come on the program. It means a lot to me. Uh, keep fighting the good fight, and good luck with uh, all your endeavors, uh, and hopefully we can cross paths somewhere in the near future. In the meantime, uh, I'm going to try to score a dope little gold leaf journal somewhere. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was great chatting. That was episode 40. Next milestone in 10 episodes. Be there or be an arc. Many thanks again to Charles McElroy for the fantastic conversation. Ohio, you done surprised me. If you like the podcast, feel free to like, subscribe, and share, and or comment. We love fan mail over here. If you want to make a financial contribution, you can join us at patreon.com slash criticalgrass, or by donating through PayPal on our website. You'll be doing Jaws work. 
we will be back again soon, so stay tuned. Same as always, my name is Bogdan. See you at the crossroads.